If you would be so kind to turn in your Bible to 1 Kings 17, 1 Kings 17, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 16 of chapter 17. It's found on page 299 of your Pew Bible, 299. By way of context, as we look at this provision of the faithful God, I've entitled the sermon, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and I think hopefully that will be self-evident as we work through the text this morning. By way of context, we began looking at this 9th century B.C. there in the northern kingdom. We have said that King Ahab has come to the throne. He's now reigning, and we're told that he is more wicked than all who preceded him. Omri and Jeoboam particularly, he's even more wicked than they are. And to outdo himself, he marries Queen Jezebel, the Sidonian princess, who brings with her Baal worship into the northern kingdom. And although the kingdom enjoys economic and political security, things are quite dark. It's very foreboding. It's getting darker by the day under the rule and reign of Ahab. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, seemingly unannounced, comes the word of God through Elijah the Tishbite. Elijah brings the word of the covenant upon Israel. There shall be neither dew nor rain these days except at my word. And shortly after bringing the curse of the covenant to bear on the northern kingdom, particularly Ahab and Jezebel, he's told by the living God to go and to flee to the brook there at Kareth, which is about uh, on the eastern side of the Jordan, probably about 40 miles from Jezreel, and God's going to care for him through the brook and through ravens. So let's pick up now, reading in chapter 17. I will begin at chapter 17, verse 1. That way it will set the context for what we're going to see uh, in 8 through 16 or 7 through 16. So here is God's holy word. Please give it your utmost attention. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord Yahweh, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord Yahweh came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he, Elijah, went and did according to the word of the Lord Yahweh. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord Yahweh came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. And so he, Elijah, arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, He called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord Yahweh your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. 
And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord Yahweh, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord Yahweh sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did, as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord Yahweh that he spoke by Elijah. Grass withers. The flowers fade, but the word of the living God abides forever. Let's go and ask this blessing. Our Father and our God, we come before your holy word asking that you would come and feed us, even as you fed Elijah, your son, there in the wilderness at Kareth by the brook. And even when it dried up, you made provision for him through the hand of a widow, a Gentile widow at that. Oh, Father, come now as we come to you in Jesus Christ, your beloved son. You who are kind, will you not give the Holy Spirit to us? Oh, Father, give it, we pray. Bless the labors of my hand, the meditation of our heart. Lord, as we look to you, that you would humble the proud and lift the lowly, that the Lamb of God might be praised above everything and everyone. We pray this in his holy name. Amen. There's a hymn I know that you love. It's called Great is Thy Faithfulness. It's a hymn that until this week, I don't know why I didn't know this. It was only written in about 100 years ago in 1923 by Thomas Chisholm. It finds its origin in that famous passage in the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, 22 through 23. Verses that speak about God's grace in the minor key. You see, that's where grace often shows up, in the minor key. When you juxtapose the depravity and the hopelessness and the, the situation we find ourselves in as the sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, God in his grace comes in all of its brilliance in this minor key of life and he shows his glory. The prophet Jeremiah penned these verses as he lamented the destruction and fall of Jerusalem. They read as follows, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. It's this faithfulness of God that Elijah, this Gentile widow, and her son found to be true in the midst of a dark trial there in Zarephath in this time of famine that was beyond the borders of Israel. It was all throughout Palestine. This famine was wreaking havoc and bringing great destruction to all. So this morning what I want to do is just let the text kind of speak for itself. I want to work through the text with you and make some applications as we go along. So let's look and begin. Let's dig right in. So Elijah arrives in Kareth, right? That's east of the Jordan. He learns firsthand about Yahweh's faithfulness to care for his people. He learned the, the daily provision of the Lord, water from the brook, and bread and meat from the ravens. He lives there for approximately about a year, give or take. 
He's in God's school there in the wilderness, right? This uninhabitable place there at Kirith. God is training Elijah for ministry. You see, saints, the prayer, give us this day our daily bread, was about as real as it could get for Elijah in his life. But things were about to get a little darker, yet still. God had more instruction to bring into Elijah's life. We read in verse 7 that the brook suddenly dried up, and Elijah now is called once again to step out in obedience to his God. Will he obey the Lord? Will he step out and do what God says? And as I thought about this, I thought to myself, well, you know, brooks don't dry up overnight, right? They don't just dry up overnight. There's a slowness to this whole process, right? The brook becomes a stream, then a creek, and then a trickle, and then some drops. And finally, there's nothing. So with each passing day, Elijah is continually learning of what it means to depend upon the Lord daily for his provision. Notice that God doesn't give him just this reservoir of water and reservoir of food, but he has to seek the Father's face every day, daily, for this daily provision. Well, saints, we know that the God of the Bible always has a provision ready for his people. At Kareth, God had provided the brook and the ravens, and now he's provided a widow. Look there at verses 8 to 9. Then the word of the Lord Yahweh came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded and ordained, rather, better to understand it as ordained rather than commanded. It can be translated that way. A widow there to feed you. Now you need to stop and you think. Who is a God like our God who ordains a widow to care for his prophet in the midst of a famine, right? And not just any widow, right? This is a Gentile widow who lives in Zarephath, which is in Sidon. Now remember, who's from Sidon? Jezebel is from Sidon. So Yahweh is taking his son, his servant, from the brook that's dried up, into Baal's backyard to show that he's going to provide for his people even in the midst of tremendous darkness, tremendous depravity, tremendous idolatry. God provides for his prophet even in Baal's backyard. You see, God uses ravens, but now he uses this Sidonian widow to provide for his prophet. You see, saints, in that day it was believed that the deities were confined to the borders of those who worshipped them. So Yahweh was confined to the borders of Israel. Baal was confined to the borders of Zarephath, so it was thought. But not so with the living God, Yahweh. In sending Elijah to Baal's backyard, Yahweh was exposing Baal for what he was, right? He's nothing. He's a nothing burger, if you will. He's an illusion. He he doesn't exist. He's part of the imagination of men. You see, the covenant Lord is not just the the God of the hills or the plains. He's not a a localized deity. He's not just confined to, to Jerusalem and to Palestine. No, he's the Lord. He's the covenant Lord of heaven and earth. That's what God is teaching us here. He's the God of the nations. And Israel had forgotten that her God was never meant to be the exclusive provision of ethnic Israel. Remember what God had promised to Abraham in Genesis 12, Genesis 22, Genesis 18? Through you, Abraham, through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. 
right? Israel was to be a light to the nations, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. You see, God's temple was to be a house of prayer for all people. But with the acceptance and the embracing of Baal worship within Israel's borders, Israel had forfeited her mission. She had failed in the commission God had given her to be this priesthood to the nations. You see, her allegiance was now compromised. It was now elsewhere. She had hooked her wagon to Baal. And although Israel was failing to carry out her commission from her Lord, God's promise to the Gentiles would not be frustrated. That's why he sent Elijah to Zarephath. That's why he sent him to this Sidonian village. And maybe you're asking yourself, why Zarephath? Well, weren't there many widows there in Israel that Elijah could have been served by? Well, yes, there were. So why go all the way to Baal's backyard? This is where it really gets interesting because in God's sovereignty, since Israel refused his grace and favor, right, giving her allegiance to Baal, God would take his grace and favor where? To the Gentiles. You see, in short, a privilege rejected is a privilege extended, right? The privilege rejected by Israel is now a privilege extended not only to Israel but to all the nations, And that's exactly what we see here in 1 Kings 17. With the grafting in of this Gentile widow into the visible church, into the visible people of God. Jesus himself references this text there in Luke chapter 4. Right? The context we remember. Jesus was opening the scroll to Isaiah 61. Mr. Yancey alluded to it. The whole entirety of of the passage. But Jesus began to preach In his own hometown, the fulfillment that today in their hearing, this passage is in fulfillment. Well, this didn't go over too well before the people, right? He's a prophet without honor there in Nazareth. The folks in Nazareth begin talking among themselves. Isn't this Joseph's son? Don't we know this guy? Doesn't his father have that carpenter shop down the street? Jesus answers them, right? as they want him to perform miracles there in Nazareth that he performed in Capernaum. He refers them to this miracle here in 1 Kings 17, that Elijah was sent not to Israel, but to the widow in Zarephath. Right? Luke tells us, when the people in Nazareth heard this, they were filled with wrath and drove him out of the synagogue to the brow of the hill and to throw him down the hill to kill him. But it was not yet his hour, right? That hour has not yet arrived. And Jesus made his way through the crowd, miraculously. We don't know exactly how that happened, but here the people have rejected Jesus. You see what's happening? The exact same thing that's happening here in 1 Kings 17. When you reject God's kindness, when you reject God's overtures, it doesn't mean that the kindness and the overtures of grace cease to exist. No, God just packs up and he takes them somewhere else. And that's exactly what he did. Israel had forfeited her commission. She had forfeited her privilege. Again, that doesn't stop the grace of God. No, that grace of God just goes someplace else to the lowest point, to the broken and contrite heart, to Baal's backyard, right? That's exactly what happens here, right? Paul picks up this reality of grace rejected by some and received by others in Romans eleven eleven, 
Speaking of ethnic Israel in Romans 11.11, their rejection of Christ and his gospel, Paul says, through Israel's trespass, right, through her rejection, the nation of Israel, by and large, right, when Jesus' ministry was functioning there in the first century, by and large, most people rejected him. Most people did not envelop and welcome him, right? But salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. You see, friends, Paul will go on in Romans 11 to compare the nation of Israel to an olive branch where he tells us that some of the branches were broken off that we Gentiles might be grafted in. You see, friends, a privilege rejected is a privilege extended elsewhere. If we refuse God's grace, grace does not stop. God's plans are not thwarted. All through the book of Acts, we saw this over and over again. Paul would go into the synagogue. He would preach the glories of David's greater son, the Messiah. The people would harden themselves. So Paul would pack up and go to the Gentiles. And that's exactly what's happening here, you see, beloved. The living God looks for his children, his elect, where no one else dares to look. He looks in Baal's backyard. He looks in Sudan, in the Muslim community. He looks under the dictatorship of North Korea. He's got a lek there in communist China, in pagan India, in idolatrous Richmond, Virginia. He'll look outside of the visible church to the farthest, remotest parts of the earth to find his children, his elect that he's called by his name. You see, branches were broken off that we might be grafted in. This should humble us as we stand in awe that we might continue in God's kindness and humility. You see, the Lord shows his mercy to a Gentile widow and her son right here in the Old Testament, just like our God. You see, doesn't he delight to show his mercy to the broken and contrite, to the weak and the helpless? The proud he keeps at arm's length. He resists the proud, but he draws near to the broken, to the weak of the world, to the helpless. That's whom he draws to himself, you see. Well, the story continues, doesn't it? Notice Elijah would not only be fed in Zarephath, he would dwell there. And you know, Zarephath, I found this out this week as I was studying it. Zarephath means, in the noun form of the Hebrew, it means crucible. It comes from the verb form to smelt, like a furnace. So here it is. There's all kinds of metaphors and interesting little tidbits in this word as he goes to dwell in this place called the furnace, as he learns in God's school the obedience of faith, right? And that's exactly what he does. In obedience to faith, we're told in verse 10, so Elijah went to Zarephath. You see, that's exactly what saving faith does. Saving faith hears the commands of God and it obeys it, right? It goes out and seeks to obey what God's commanded. Notice he simply obeyed. He lived an entire year, hand to mouth, being fed by ravens and drinking water from the brook, finding God faithful, right? Finding God's mercies new every morning. Here's Elijah, living hand to mouth, trusting in the promises of God. And now in obedience, he's going to go to Zarephath and see God show up again. You see, why should he stop trusting him now? He's been so faithful every day before then. You see, Yahweh had established a record with Elijah, and Elijah believed the Lord, and he obeyed. He did not miss a meal. So he arrives in Zarephath, right? Now, Zarephath's about 80 miles on the coast of the Mediterranean. Now, remember, there are no vehicles, so he's walking. <laughs> There's very little water, very little food, so he's walking. It probably take him at least a whole week, right? Really humping it, going pretty fast. 
And he arrives in the city gate, and we're told in verse 10, Behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. Now you're thinking to yourself, well, how would Elijah recognize her? Well, that's a good question. He recognized her perhaps because of the the garments she was wearing. She was wearing grieving or mourning garments because she had lost her husband. So he recognized her. In faith, he calls to her, which seems very brash to me when I just read it, in the prima facie reading of it, bring me a little water in a vessel that I might drink. (laughs) Water, that's the one thing she doesn't have. Or if she does, it's very little. And she goes to get to the water. He further asks her in verse 11, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Right? He ups the ante. She responds in verse 12, as she said, as the Lord your God lives, right? I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat and die, you see. Now we knew things were bleak, right? She's a widow. She's by herself. She's lost her husband. But not only is she a widow, she has a small son, of all things. So there's a, there's a fatherless child that's involved in it, right? The, the picture keeps getting darker, bleaker, that, that Yahweh might show himself faithful. And here's this widow at the bottom of the bottom, right? And here comes Elijah, this stranger asking for the one thing, right, which is water, and to have a portion of, his la- of the last meal, right? That's not convenient, is it? Not very convenient, even though a, a blessing is promised in Matthew ten forty two. whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he's a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Now that's, in theory, that sounds fine. It's another thing when you don't have anything and everything's on the line. You see, she and her son were preparing to die. They're down to her last meal. Now remember, Elijah had seen the daily provision of the Lord, right? The mercies of the Lord were new every morning in Elijah. He'd had a track record, but this woman didn't have it, right? Elijah knows her fears, and notice what he does. He seeks to relieve her fears with the very comfort he himself had. Look at verse 13. And Elijah said to her, do not fear and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and for your son. And then Elijah gives her the promise of God, right? Notice verse 14, for thus says the Lord Yahweh, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jar of oil shall not be empty until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. You see, beloved, the God who cared for Elijah at Kareth with the brook, with the ravens, is now caring for this widow. He would show up again and particularly care for this widow. As Deuteronomy 10, 18 says, he executes justice for the faithless and the widow and the sojourner he loves, giving him food and clothing. And in faith against every maternal instinct within her, right? Notice what Elijah says. Give me first the bread and the water and then feed yourself and your son, right? And that's exactly what she does. In the faith of unbelief, she believes. She takes God at his word. And what does she find? She finds the same thing you'll find if you trust God and believe his word. She'll find a faithful God who will fulfill his word and keep his promise to his people. Right? When your back is against a proverbial wall, when all seems hopeless, and the invisible God calls you to trust his word, what will you find? Who will you find? you'll find a faithful Lord, right? And that's what we see in verses 15 to 16. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. 
The jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jar of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. You see, they all ate for many days. She found him faithful who taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. She found him to be faithful and true. The jar was not spent and the oil did not run out. Now, how did that happen? I don't know. I don't know how that all happened. But I did read this week of a similar story. Let me just share it with you. It comes from Corey Ten Boom. You remember who she was? She and her sister Betsy were encamped in a prison camp there in Germany. I believe it was Camp Ravensbrück in 1944 for hiding Jews uh, during the uh, German occupation and uh, Nazi regime. And while imprisoned, she says that her sister Betsy became ill. This is how she describes uh, giving her sister life-preserving vitamins. She said, another strange thing happened. The bottle in which the vitamins that she was giving her sister were contained was continuing to produce drops. It scarcely seemed possible. So small a bottle, so many doses a day. Now in addition to Betsy, a dozen others on our pier were taking it. So she's serving not only her sister, but a dozen dozen other people within the, the camp. Corey says, my instinct was always to hoard it. Betsy was growing so weak, but all the others were ill as well. It was hard to say no to eyes that burned with fever, hands that shook with chill. I tried to save it for the very weakest, but even these soon numbered 15, 20, 25. And still, every time I tilted the little bottle, a drop appeared at the tip of the glass stopper. It just couldn't be. I held it up to the light, right? You can remember those old medicine bottles, those dark ones. I held it up to the light trying to see how much was left, but the dark brown glass was too thick to see through. There was this woman in the Bible, Betsy said, whose jar of oil was never empty, a poor widow from Zeropath. It was one thing to believe that such things were possible, Corey says, thousands of years ago, but another to have it happen now to us this very day, and yet it happened this day and the next and the next, until in an awed little group of spectators stood watching the drops fall into daily rations of bread. Many nights I lay awake trying to fathom the marvel of the supply lavished upon us. Maybe I whispered to Betsy, only a molecule or two really gets through that little pinhole and then the air it expands. I heard Betsy's soft laughter in the dark say, don't try too hard to explain it, Corey. Just accept it as a surprise from our Father who loves you. Beloved, the widow, the widow's son, and the prophet of God found Yahweh to be what? Faithful. If you trust him and you believe his word and you in simple obedience, in unbelief believe it and you'll do it, You'll find him to be faithful. You'll find him whom Jeremiah writes about. Right? Just simple obedience. Take him at his word. Right? Do what he says. This is our God. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. 
They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. May we believe that. May we live by the word of God and find him sufficient for every need. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you, Father, that you show yourself faithful to your people, whether it be in the 9th century B.C. or whether it be in the 21st century today. The same God who serves us and ministers to us in his son, Jesus Christ, that ministered to Corrie ten Boone and her sister Betsy, to Elijah and the widow and her son, so ministers to us now all of his covenant benefits. Oh, Lord Jesus, may you be glorified. May you increase our faith. Lord, may we be those who believe the word of God against every circumstance that would surround us and call us to question the veracity of the word of God and to trust it, but that we would hold fast to it, to tremble at its warnings, to heed its commands, to rejoice in its promises, resting principally in Jesus Christ, our salvation for justification and sanctification and one day glorification. Oh, Lord Jesus, may it be for your glory and for our eternal good, we pray in your holy name. Amen.